Amen. Thank you, Matt. It's so wonderful to be here with you this morning. Thank you for being here, all of our members. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're very glad to have you with us. You're special to us. We're honored to have you in our presence. And we hope that you feel comfortable, that you're blessed by the fellowship and the study and the worship. We want you to know that you're always welcome here. And if you ever have any questions or anything that you need, please let us know how we can serve you. And that is also true for our online folks joining us, and we're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for being with us this morning. We're always here for you. If you need a visit, if you need any kind of special care, we want you to know to reach out to us. We're here for you. Last Thursday was my spiritual birthday. It was 1990, and I was about to start high school here at Bullard. Uh, we had moved here, but we were still attending Shiloh. I don't remember exactly what month we moved to Bullard, but we were still attending Shiloh. And uh, some, sometime before that, a couple of months, a few months, I don't know, my mom had lunch with a friend of hers named Kay Binkley, who was also at Shiloh at the time. You may know uh, Greg and Kay at the time. And uh, so my mom came back, and she was telling me something Kay told her. And that was that her son Gary, who was one of my best friends, had been studying his Bible every day. And that just impressed me so much that my, one of my best friends, Gary, was studying his Bible every day. We were just about to start ninth grade. And I thought that was the neatest thing. And I thought, you know, if Gary can do it, I can do it. And so I just started doing that. I didn't know where to go, what to do, how to do it. I just started reading my Bible. And, and that developed a habit in, in my life to continue to do that. And, and then I started, I started learning, I got, I would get excited cross-referencing. Oh, I read something like that over here. Let me go mark that. Or uh, uh, writing, just logging what I, what I read. And sometimes I would make some notes uh, and logging the date and the passage that I read. And, and I always, always appreciated Gary for that uh, example in my life. And I've told him that a few times. But it was, it was, it was soon after that that things started clicking for me spiritually and, and, and in my mind about what it meant to be a Christian. I was not a Christian at the time and I'd grown up in the church, loved youth group and all that. And so uh, at some point it started clicking that and making sense that, yeah, I grew up in this and around this. I, I believe this, but then it became personal. Something happened and I distinctly remember where... I just realized this is for me too. Like, like I have a personal responsibility and role in this. I believe this. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he, he came and died for my sins and was raised uh, uh, for, for my salvation. I, I believe that. But then all of a sudden, it was like real to me personally. Does that make sense? You had that kind of experience? And so, and so then I, I just knew I was ready to do this. I was ready to stand on my own two feet and have my own faith and put on Christ in baptism to live for Christ. And so it was that Sunday morning at Shiloh Road, August 5th, 1990. I didn't tell my parents. 
I, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk to my youth minister, and I wasn't trying not to. That, that wasn't really on, in, in my thinking. I, I just knew that this is, this is a decision I've got to make, and I'm ready to make it. This is between me and God. I don't need anybody to agree or disagree because I'm convicted. I know what I need to do, and i got to do it. And so that Sunday morning and that, that audience, I remember making myself get out of that, that pew and go down that aisle to see Mike Warner. And my youth minister, David Lang, was there, and he baptized me. When I came up out of the water, my dad was standing up there. They didn't know. And he had a towel that, that, the towel that he gave me and gave me a kiss. And, and uh, that, that was such a powerful uh, day for me. And, 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 and I never forgot what that was like. But, you know, it was because of a church family here and Shiloh. Soon after that, at some point, uh, we, we started attending here. But it was my church families that I grew up in and my home life, the Christians around me, that church environment that, that contributed to, that led to me obeying the gospel. And so it was people, it was other Christians living out their faith who were around me, who helped point me and bring me to the point where I was ready to say, this is for me too. And I then started to live for Christ. And so uh, that church family, those individual Christians, our homes, all of that is very important. And what I've been saying in this short series is that it's because of the gospel that we do these two core teachings of Jesus. We live out the great commandment to love God with our all. And we live out the great commission to make and grow disciples. And that's the one we're looking at today. You know, throughout history, some people have said some powerful things as their last words. Some have been more humorous. Richard Mellon was the multimillionaire president of Alcoa. He and his brother Andrew had a game of tag going on for about 70 years. When Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother Andrew over and whispered, Last tag. And Andrew remained it for his last four years of his life. Harriet Tubman's last words were, Swing low, sweet chariot. Matt talked about that song this morning. Jazz drummer Buddy Rich died after surgery, but as he was being prepped for surgery, he was asked by his nurse, is there anything you can't take? To which Buddy Rich answered, country music. <laughs> so, but in Matthew chapter 28, what we have is Jesus' last words to his disciples. And his last words are words we certainly need to listen to. Like This was his last moment with his disciples. He's ascending to heaven. He's not coming back in bodily form. And, and so, so he, he says these last words in this last moment to his disciples. I think those are pretty important to listen to. Because he knew that he needed to impart certain things in this moment. And that's what we're looking at today. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and let's start in verse number 16. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, he just began his last words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now if anyone's last words were important, it would be the Savior's last words. And the first thing he says is what? In verse number 18. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now what does that mean? We don't want to skip over that and just kind of, yeah, get to the baptism part. No, we need to listen to all of the words of the Savior. And so what does that mean and why would he say that? Because he... Paul would talk about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Uh, the Hebrew author talks a lot about this. But it's because Jesus submitted to the will of God for him while here on earth. And Philippians chapter 2, Paul beautifully writes about this. It's the gospel there. And, and, he's, and it's because Jesus did what he did that God exalted him to both Lord and Savior. And he exalted him, and that's why Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I've got all authority. And, and so we need to listen to the Savior, who is the one who says, I have all authority. Those words are pretty important to listen to and to obey. And so then we see what he says, and he tells us to do three things. He tells us first to make disciples of all nations. That's all people everywhere. There's no regard for who they are, where they come. Make disciples of all nations. And what that means is we need to teach the gospel to other people. Now, they hadn't been baptized yet. He's saying make disciples. You need to do some work up front to teach them about who Jesus is, what it means to be a follower of Christ, all of that gospel good news to these folks. Now some translations, King James is one of them, translate the word disciple and they translate it te to teach. Now it's not, the, the Greek word is disciple. So it's not an accurate translation, but the intent is not bad. The intent is to, to communicate, you need to do some teaching up front. And that, that's what it's trying to convey when it uses the word teach. So uh, uh, it, it helps us see what Jesus in, means, that we need to do some teaching. to pe We need to teach people who Jesus is and, and what it means to follow him. That's the good news. Now, then when someone wants to be a follower of Jesus, when they, when they say, I believe that what you just said, I believe that. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. And, and that's what happened in my life. I heard it. I was taught Okay, and, that, and those of you that had a similar experience, you know, what that, you heard the information and then you're like, you know, I believe that. I need to do something. I need to respond to that. I want to take action uh, in response to that good news. And that's when 
that person is baptized. So Jesus said, we need to, we need to go and make disciples. So now that's important because Jesus did not tell us in these last words, go dunk as many people as you can, as quick as you can, no matter how you can do it. Just get some numbers on the board. Jesus didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. Disciples follow Jesus. That's what we're interested in. We're not interested in tally marks. We're not interested in saying, oh, yeah, we had so, so many baptisms. Because I want to ask, was that a baptism? Was that conversion? We want people to be disciples of Christ, followers of Christ. So they need to understand what they're doing first. Then they're baptized. Now, what does that mean? Do we sprinkle them? Do we spray them? Do we, what, you know, what is, no, that means immerse. They go all the way under. And they're brought all the way back up, symbolizing the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And that's the only thing that word can mean. It can't mean something else. It means immersed fully underwater. And everybody at that time knew that and understood it. That's the only thing it can mean. Baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Then we're not finished. Then our job, Jesus says, is to teach people all that I've commanded you, to observe all that I've commanded you. So there's some teaching that needs to happen after. And see, we kind of we drop the ball there sometimes, don't we? We think, hey, man, we, we got somebody baptized. We're done. No, you're not done. Because now that person has to continue to learn what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Let me, let me ask you something. Are you done yet learning how to follow Christ? Is there anyone that's arrived to say, yep, I'm done? No, see, we, we never get done learning how to follow Jesus more. We never get done uh, growing spiritually. There's always more maturity to take place in our lives. Okay, <clears throat> now, the Greek word for teaching that Jesus uses there is in a form, it's in the form that is communicating this is ongoing. So it's not something you just say right after they're baptized. Great job, God be with you. It's not something like that. This is continuous, ongoing teaching with uh, spiritual maturity in view. That's what Jesus is telling us. You have to keep growing as a Christian after you become a Christian. That's what he wants us to know. And then he finishes by saying, I am with you always. I'm giving you this commission. I'm commissioning you. I'm giving you this, this, this task, this mission, this job to do. And I'm with you always. I'm always with you. Matthew began his gospel telling us the same thing. He quotes Isaiah in Matthew 1.23 where Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So from his birth, it was all about God with us. And remember, John said what in John 1.14? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. And now at the very end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is saying, I'm with you always to help you carry out the Great Commission. 
Jesus is with you when you're trying to talk to your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, your family member. Jesus is with you when you go back to school and you're trying to, you're saying, hey, new school year, uh, uh, a new fresh start. I can, I can do it this time. I want to be a better example. I want to let my sh- light shine better. I want to watch my words better. I want to I I do better about talking about my faith. I want to do better about inviting people to church. I want to make better choices in school in work, in the neighborhood, in our, in our civic engagements. So Jesus is with us when we go out and try to carry out his mission. He said he'll be with us always. So to make and grow disciples is the mission of the Lord's church. And that means it's the mission of every individual Christian. You see, a business, an organization, they can go and they can create their their mission statements, and they can do mission, vision, values, and they can post it up all over and all of that. It's a great day at such and such place where our mission is to do this. That's wonderful. We don't get to write that for the church. Jesus already did it, and he put it right here. So our, 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 you, can, you, can, you, know, you see churches do that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, come up with all kinds of phrases. It's right here. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. That's our mission. That's who we, who we are and what we're about. Now, there are three types of churches when it comes to the Great Commission. Three types of churches when it comes to the Great Commission. Those, on the next slide, those that focus, that, those that focus only on the first half and reach only non-believers. That's that making disciples and baptizing. Those that only focus on that first half. Then there's those that only focus on the second half where church is totally and only catered to people who are already on the inside. It's for them, and so it feels maybe more like a college seminar, more, more advanced always. And, and, and people who are non-believers who are just kind of checking it out or invited, they don't really get it. Nothing's connecting or communicating with them. And then finally, there's the church that does both. They're both reaching that unbeliever, bringing them to Christ, and they're helping to grow and mature the Christian already there. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, which one are we supposed to be? What do y'all think? Which one are we supposed to be? It's kind of obvious we're supposed to be number three, right, Roger? So then we have to ask ourselves, are we doing that? How are we doing? on being number, th- number three like that. How are we doing on being that kind of church? What, what are the things that we're doing to do both sides of that, to both make and to grow disciples? Is there some things we need to do? Where are some ways we can improve in those areas? So we need to ask ourselves those, those questions. Those are very good questions for a church to ask. But you can't stop there. Because if you do that, then you're going to say, Yeah, those elders need to do this or that. That preacher needs to do that. If that youth minister, if those, you know, Matt is the deacon of involvement. There you go. We can just tell it. No, no, no. See, that's a mistake, isn't it? What we need to do is say, what am I doing to live out the Great Commission? And how am I helping contribute to this local congregation doing that also? That's what that's about, that unified effort of all of us doing it when we're scattered and doing it when we're gathered as well. You know, the George Barna's 
research company, he's no longer the president, but Barna Research found that 51% of churchgoers, that's a kind of a diverse audience though, 51% of churchgoers don't even know what the Great Commission is. They had not even heard that term and had not even heard that Jesus said those words. 51%. Now it gets higher when you start drilling down into different groups of churches, but, but, but in general, that's astonishing, isn't it? So, so it, this was research done in 2017. They found that only 17% of churchgoers had heard that term and knew that Jesus said that. Man, now, if you don't know the Great Commission, and if you don't know that Jesus told us to do that, how are you going to be the church? How are you the Lord's church? How are you a Christian if you don't know? So, so you see how important, and look how you can, you know, in business they talk about mission drift, you know. How, you can drift off your mission and be doing all kinds of other things and not be on mission for the Lord when you don't communicate these things and grow in these things and practice these things. Matthew tells us about a time when Jesus was going through the cities and villages in Galilee. And in Matthew chapter 9, he says, the, Matthew records that he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 9, 35. But look at verses 36 through 37. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, now he had already been doing this, teaching, he was healing, he was caring for people, he had compassion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now we hear that, that phrase, those words more often. But I think the next words are just as important, and we, we need to include them as well, and that's verse 38. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Do you see that? The Lord of the harvest. Who's the harvest? The lost. Who's the Lord of the harvest? God is. And they're His harvest. And Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, the lost people, to send laborers. Now who's the, who do the laborers belong to? That's His church. The laborers are His people. And He's saying, pray to God the Lord of these lost people over here, that his saved people will come over here and, and, and talk to and do their work in, the, in his harvest. Now, why should someone have to pray that we would go do our job? And he's saying God wants his people to go to his harvest to do his work. That's the Great Commission. That's exactly what Jesus just said in Matthew 28. That's exactly the same thing. The harvest is God. The laborers are God. And God needs His people to do His work in His harvest. It's all His. When I was at, when I was at Oldham Lane, uh, we had a guy named Chris, a single guy named Chris, come along, contact us. He knew some people that were uh, that visited there and stuff. He got in touch with us. Had no biblical church background at all, but his life had not been all that he wanted it to be. It had, things had not been good. 
So he just said, look, he, I remember him sitting down in the office saying, look, I don't know anything. All I know is I want to be a Christian. Tell me what I need to know and do. And it was such an amazing and beautiful experience because it was a blank slate. He's just like, just show me in the Bible. Tell me. I just want to hear it and know. And the purity that was there and the innocence and the honesty and sincerity and, and after a few studies, he was baptized. He was ready. The way people, most people are going to become Christians is by meeting other Christians. That's true for me. I, I kind of grew up around it. It wasn't like someone who grew up later and then uh, connected with somebody who started studying with them. So I kind of I grew up in that environment more and a little bit differently. And, and you're on, in one of those ways, too. But the way most people become Christians is by meeting another Christian. That's the laborer being sent out, going out to the harvest to do the Great Commission. So when you're talking to people, I want you to look at these three knots. Listen for these three knots to come up in uh, talking with people. And they may express that they're not in church, and that, that should trigger you. Well, hey, come visit with me sometime. I'd love, love to have you. Maybe things are not going well in their life. Well, let me pray for you. Let's talk about that. Now, I'm not saying you got to do that in a, in a way that's receptive. You're not dragging them up here and trying to get them baptized as soon as they say that. But those ought to trigger, okay, there's, there's a ministry opportunity here. There's, there's a, the, the door's cracked open because... Because God can help them in their life. Or they were not prepared for a situation. All kind of loss of job, what big little, they weren't prepared for a situation. And they don't know what to do and they're struggling and they're suffering. Those are opportunities. Those are, those are opportunities to say, hey, let's talk. Why don't you come to church with me? Let me pray for you. Hey, can I show you, can I show you something? Can I tell you about something Jesus said one time? Those are opportunities for you. So let's take advantage of opportunities. You know, the goal of church isn't to see how many members you can claim. The goal of church isn't how many programs you can have. The goal of church isn't uh, to see how big of a building you can have. It's not to see how big your budget is. It's not to make everything fun. It's not to not spend money. It's not to, ups, to not upset anyone. The goal of church isn't uh, to, make any, to not make anyone uncomfortable. The goal of church isn't to do it my way. The goal of church isn't to please people. The goal of church, the mission of the church, is to make and grow disciples for Jesus. That's who we are and what we're about. Everything we do, from teaching, from our fellowship, to greeting at the door, to helping with an event, to flipping a switch and fixing something, to planning a, 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 an activity, to whatever it is, to talking with somebody at work, connecting with somebody, eating lunch with somebody, everything we do is about the mission of the church to make and grow disciples. That's who we are and what we do. Everything we do has that singular aim, that singular goal of getting there. So back to school bash isn't about water slides and watermelon. That's not what that's about. It's about people coming here to connect with us, 
to have a great connection, for us to meet people, make people feel welcome, and invite them to church. And you never know what God will do when you make the most of every opportunity. I know I've fallen short in that area. Sometimes you're shy. Sometimes you're in a hurry. But we got to work on those two things, don't we? Being in a hurry and kind of just saying, well, I'm introverted. We got to work on that because the mission of Jesus, Jesus didn't ask the disciples, okay, now who's extroverted? Here's your mission. That's not what he said. He said, here's what I want you to do. And he sent them out to do it. That's who we are, what we're about at the Bullard Church of Christ. We want you to know if we can help you in any way. If there's any way you need uh, our prayers, if you need to study, if you need to spend time with somebody, whether you're online or in person, we want you to know that we're always here for you. Not, not just now in an invitation time, it's just convenience, but anytime. We want to encourage you to reach out to us and let us know. If you do need anything this morning and you want to let us know, we invite you to come forward now as we together stand and sing.